Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. When you look at Ketty Scharf's surreal, colorful, pop culture-inspired art, you can't help but wonder where did he get his inspiration? This documentary film about Sharp's fascinating life made over the course of 11 years by his artist daughter Malia Sharp, as well as Max Bash, answer that question. Kenny Sharp, When Worlds Collide, features interviews and rare archival footage with Kenny himself, Andy Warhol, John Michel Basquiat, Keith Herring, Dennis Hopper, Yoko Ono, and many, many others. The film again is called Kenny Sharp, When Worlds Collide. We're joined today by... Malia Scharf and Max Bash. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thanks for having us, Mike. <laughs> thank you. Happy to you know, be here. Thank you. Uh, you know, there's a part of this uh, beyond the, the art, beyond the, the story of his life, uh, where uh, your dad and I are not terribly far apart in age. I felt a real connection to the sort of the, the way in which he has lived his life. And I don't think it's such a bad model for a lot more of us to do it that way. What inspired you to begin doing this documentary, Malia? So there were two elements that really inspired me. One was just having a father who just is so committed and inspiring and everywhere, everything he touches, he's like has to bring his own uh, life to. And so that was really inspiring. And I wanted to kind of share with the world a little more of what I saw about him because as a young person growing up with him, I also um, was very aware of all of the criticism. So I don't know if you, you know, you said you weren't that familiar with Kenny's work, but he, like, there was a lot of criticism about his work. So I, as a young, as his daughter was like, wait a second, how are you guys not seeing what I'm seeing? So one of that was one of the main inspirations was I wanted to share a little bit of my point of view of my father with the world. And then the other aspect that really inspired me was his um, group of, you know, the Club 57, the downtown scene was always like something I, I craved for in my life, this kind of free artistic kind of like, you know, they fueled each other and people were able to make art and have this creative, everything from the nightlife, to, it was just so inspiring. And so a part of me was nostalgic for that and got really excited about uh, making a film about that time and place. Well, Malia, when you were beginning to do this, you started filming him or did you ask him, hey, uh, I'd like to do a documentary. I'd like to film you. What was his uh, reaction to that? Um, so I actually began the film with um, someone named Nathan Meyer, who we, we began and he was really shooting a lot of film of Kenny. And I think we, yeah, I think I told him and he kind of was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Like, I don't know how seriously he took it because I was 20 years old and uh, maybe 19. And I just, I, I think it was kind of like, sure, whatever you want, you know, <laughs> and um and I think for a while, I don't even know if he actually believed I was going to finish it. Because as you know, I began it 11 years ago. And although I didn't work the 11 years, that's the time I start said I wanted to do this to the time. Yeah. Max Bash, where did you come into the project? How did you get involved with, with this particular project? Yeah, so I met Malia about like 
God, at this point now, it was probably like seven years ago, eight years ago. And we sort of just became friends. In that time, she kind of like, I'd known that she was working on this project. She hadn't shared anything with me. It was just like, you know, something that I knew that she was sort of working on. And then as we continued our friendship and I got to know her a little bit better, she started to share some stuff with me and she shared the archive. And I, I don't know exactly know like what the fray was with like her previous collaborators, but it seemed like she was at, there was like this opportunity or this like moment where she was looking for some more help and someone new to maybe like sort of pass the torch and, and help sort of carry the project through. And so, and that was maybe about four years ago or something like that, four or five years ago. And so then she shared with me some of the archive and um, yeah, that was kind of like the planted the seed and, uh, and I got pretty excited about, you know, the material that she had on her hands and um, the rest is history. Yeah. Well, let's take a step back and sort of describe the world upon which Kenny Scharf entered into as an artist. Uh, I think it's safe to say that the move to New York and to begin sort of the beginning of his, the more, the most serious part of his artistic life. Is that, is that a fair way to put it? And well, let's talk about that era, the late 1970s and into the 1980s. Um, Aliyah, would you like to kind of describe that era? Yeah. I mean, well, so, you know, New York was this kind of like mm, this wild, like what felt like a magnet that drew all these uh, creatives and kind of people who didn't feel like they fit in and they all found each other. And there was this really incredible creative energy there in the city that was nothing like New York is today, right? It was kind of, it was just dirty and there was, I mean, it was dangerous, and, you know, at least downtown we're talking about where, where these people all met. So I think that somehow from this kind of um, city that was broken down, there was all this like creative energy waiting to happen, all these people finding each other. And that time, you know, money wasn't at least in this downtown scene where the, all these, you know, young people had come from many different places, found each other. Money wasn't really a part of the the picture and it just led to this really pure kind of wild uh free expression that then as things progressed and as time went on and um these people took themselves more seriously out of this came Basquiat and Herring and and Kenny and you know then then the art that was in the streets went into the galleries so this time was pretty important and I think you know in art history and um and that era was just, it was wild, you know, it was like incredible, wild, and then also tragic with AIDS. And, um, you know, if we're talking about a span of 10, a decade over a decade. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there was this period of time in, in the, as you were alluding to the, the New York City history where uh, they had gone through a tremendous amount of economic upheaval. Uh, the downtown, as you described it, was basically abandoned. There was a lot of concern about the survivability of New York for a while. There was an attempt to get a bailout from the get federal government. There was an awful lot of concern about this part of this important part of American society, certainly in and also to the world's cultural kind of center. It had been. And yeah, right. I mean, and into that void leapt a lot of not only just artists like 
Kenny Scharf and Andy Warhol and these others, but musicians, uh, all kinds of different artists gravitated to this part of the part of the world because of the opportunity. And also there is something about sort of out of rubble comes a, a whole new world, a whole new civilization, if you will. And I'm endlessly fascinated by this period of time. This is there is so much going on. The Velvet Underground, the you know the performance artist scene. There's just so much that happened, and also Studio Fifty Four. There was sort of a, this connection between kind of the the gay and lesbian community, and sort of the out of that came that you mentioned AIDS. But there was a, so much turmoil, but also so much creativity. Right. So just a it's just an amazing amazing period of time. Him landing in New York, sort of beginning to find his way, he struck up a, a, a strong friendship with Keith Haring over this period of time. I would like to touch on that because it seemed to really kind of inspire him in, in the art that he produced. Yeah, absolutely. He was kind of looking for, for Keith. Like he said in the film, he was looking for that kind of inspiration in New York. And when he met Keith, he was like, oh, you. Like, I think Keith was someone that could match his energy in terms of his passion and and like really inspired him and although they had this kind of competitive energy like they fueled each other and um and yeah i think keith and kenny really had this language they could they could understand each other and were inspired by each other um and i think they uplifted each other and so yeah it was a beautiful thing their friendship and it continues to be uh, Keith continues to be an incredibly important person in, in Kenny's life yeah. until this day, and I, he will continue to be. Yeah, it was a huge impact, you know. Definitely. Well, Max, in terms of your as you were coming into this project, well, what was your sort of understanding of the world from which Kenny Sharp had come, and your understanding of kind of that art world that 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 period of time? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know. Um... To put it bluntly, I mean, I was kind of a layman. I mean, you know, I, I studied art in school a little bit. So I was, um, I wasn't completely unaware, you know, I wasn't like, just totally ignorant of that world. But I, um, I definitely was nowhere near like as knowledgeable as I needed to be to to make a film about the era. So it required a fair amount of reading up and just trying to like, sort of understand the time. I'm also not of that generation, like Malia, you know, I'm uh you know not terribly young but not terribly old uh not to say that anyone of that generation is terribly old but i'm i was you know i feel like anyone who lived in that time would have come to the project with just definitely more of like a background and not needing to do as much research as um as i had to do to feel like prepared to make the film that we made yeah it just uh it required a certain amount of like trying like a, a desire to want to know more about it yeah. yeah yeah well over the course of making this film i mean you're obviously sort of been immersed in it i mean these were for me i'll just say from my own perspective and watching the film reminding me of just how they made the idea of art something more than just a showing up at a gallery and you know ooing and awing over stuff that you saw lit up on a wall Art was possible anywhere. It's just yeah. depending upon a perspective and a desire to sort of make it art. One hundred percent. You know that that's something that yeah. I mean, art for everyone. You know that, that this was like a almost one of the theses of the film. You know that we felt was just a really important message to to project through the film. And I think 
street art in general today, I think carries that, that same kind of MO, you know, it's got this idea sort of in, laden within it that, you know, anyone who's, who, who's out in the world can appreciate. And I think that what happens a lot of times, a lot of the times with fine art, and this is also something I think we touch on a little bit in the film, there's this sort of elitist kind of mentality where like, if you want to quote unquote, understand the art, you know, you need to, you need to be an academic, you need to be like informed. You, it's almost like this secret society of art, you know, where, oh, well, if you, you want to understand why this is important, then, you know, you need to have the knowledge to understand it. It's almost as if that knowledge of understanding art is like this precious material. And I think that what, you know, Kenny and his cohorts were doing was saying, well, F that. And actually art is for everyone and we can make it in the street and we can bring it into galleries and it can it can exist like on that same sort of highbrow kind of platform where you know now there are these terms like lowbrow art you know where essentially it's just art that came out of uh you know sort of almost like clip art or, or magazine art you know and now and now it's i mean they call it lowbrow which is which is interesting to me but it almost feels like, um, right, it, it, it sort of rubs against the highbrow stuff that I'm sort of referencing before, but it's all just, these are all conversations that we felt were important to inject into the film. And um, something you mentioned earlier too, which is really a powerful idea that that's so real just in the universe, this idea that like, you know, creation comes out of destruction. And I think that like that time in New York, I mean, you touched on it really well. It's just this you know, yeah, it was, they were immersed in this sort of like ruinous sort of rubble world downtown. And, and, and out of that came this desire to just in, basically enliven what was a pretty depressed scene, you know? And so they were out there like, well, we're going to paint on this destruction. We're going to uplift it and try to make some beauty out of it. And I think it just lit, it lit a little fire. And, uh, and it wasn't just Kenny and Keith and Jean Michel. There were many other artists, you know, from you know, doing it in that time, and uh, they were just some of the few lucky ones that I think, you know, were sort of recognized, recognized, noticed, and uh, you know, put on pedestals. Before we go any further, I want to uh, remind our audience we're talking about the terrific new documentary film called Kenny Sharp: When Worlds Collide. And we're talking to the co-directors, I believe, as well as co-producers of the film, Kenny Sharp, When Worlds Collide, that would be Malia Sharp as well as Max Bash. And uh, real quick, Malia, because I want I really want to talk about uh, the trajectory of, of your dad's career, but I also want to go back to this idea because, you know, there was a period of time when you weren't allowed to read the Bible if you weren't a priest. I think that's kind of what Max was talking about in terms of the art world, right? You weren't allowed to understand or appreciate it until somebody told you what it was. And what they did was, which was so radical and political, and it's, but also in a very non-political way. Your father's art, I don't think people would immediately leap to the idea that it was a political statement. It's fun. It's playful. It plays with our images that we know of from mass media, the things that we're kind of familiar with, and puts them in a very different context. But it, it's, it, it, this is sort of, for me, it, it's, the, it's the doing of it as much as it is what we see on, on the canvas or on side of a building or whatever it might be that makes it political it's it's not about you should buy this it's about should you appreciate it and you don't have to if you don't want to you can just you have your own reaction right very in a very sort of non-business sort of sense about it right 
Definitely. Yeah. And it's like, see what you see. You might see something deeper here. It could just be a fun, colorful thing that like makes you smile. You might hate it. It might, you know, the exactly it's, it's like you see, take it for whatever it, it feels like to you, wherever it strikes you. Um, yeah, that's definitely the, the beauty of it, I think. And, and, um, it, it is political in a way of like, you don't have to be art educated per se to appreciate it. And it can be, you know, in the street for anyone. And then at the same time, you could find it in a gallery and right. someone. Who, yeah. So. I mean, Banksy's an extension of all uh, some of this and some of the other people we know now and how he's. Yeah. Go ahead. You were going to say something, Max. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I was just going to say Kenny is definitely um, a very political person. And I think that his art, he injects a fair amount of politics into his art, actually. I mean, it just depends on like as he likes to call them, like the channels that he's uh, producing within, because he has these different modes of creating and, and they're all spontaneous and improvisational for the most part, but they are also just these kind of different processes that he has. And so depending on the process, like some of them are much more political than others. Like when he does screen printing, there's usually a fair amount of politics involved in the screens that he chooses where he'll put a lot of language, he'll play with language, he'll, he'll play with imagery, whether it's like, you know, using imagery that's juxtaposing, you know, energy sources with uh, food or, or natural disasters, or, you know, he's, he's heavily invested in the environment. We, we talk about this in the film too, but, you know, I mean, he, he, he makes it sort of like his job as an artist, I think is, enlighten people's lives you know with color but also really under the surface of those colors uh, a lot of times there's some deeply political messages you know a lot of times about the environment sometimes about politicians themselves he cares a lot about um, all those things i want to let people know that the film is coming out in theaters all across the country new york la chicago san francisco boston seattle minneapolis Houston, Portland, and Denver, just to name a few, it opens on June 25th. So truly be looking for this uh, Kenny Scharf, uh, When Worlds Collide. Uh, just the last minute or so we have together. Amelia, I, what was it like, you know, running around? Here's your dad basically running around in his underwear, and I'm sure most of the household was running around in their underwear while he's creating this art. Well, I mean, what was that like? Was this sort of sense of the household of, of seeing your father at work? And I'm putting a little bit of quotes around that, but uh, what was that like for you and for your sister, your sister, uh, Zena? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, when you are born into something, sometimes it's <laughs> like, <laughs> it's almost all that, you know, you know, so I, our house was like, it was just like constant. It's like, he, he can't not like paint everything and customize everything. So <laughs> it was just every, it was, it was just like, this is what it, this is what I was born into. <laughs> Well, when you um, when, when you go off to school and you see the other kids, you know, they've got their lunch pails and you've got some kind of amazing piece of art that you're walking in to, you know, I mean, what is, what are you, you sort of, what was it? When worlds well, collide, right? This yeah, is really exactly. <laughs> well, you know, being like younger and exactly what you said, saying like, oh, well, my friend's house looks different than my house. It, it took me a little bit to really appreciate it. There was a moment where I was like, wait a second. This is like, don't come pick me up in this painted Cadillac. That's embarrassing. And 
why can't we just have like a plain wall? Like it was almost like I went the opposite way when I was younger. And then it took me a moment as I got a little bit older to really appreciate what I was, you know, this rich life I was surrounded by. But yeah, as a young, like adolescent or more like young, young girl, I was not too young, but at that that age where you kind of want to be the same as everyone, it was like... Yeah. No, no, no. We are very different. <laughs> like, well, every every kid has that oh dad moment. Come on, you know. Every I'm sure everybody goes through that period of time. Yeah. But, but one last thing, and it's so good to see. At least from the film, I get the impression that there's a reassessment and reappreciation of your of your father's work, and it seems like that's great. And this film certainly will help that effort in terms of people understanding and appreciating his work. So. Is that be, is that something is that accurate to, to say people are really kind of coming back to the work and yes I mean it's funny because the timing in Kenny's career you know it's it's really amazing because right now he's having kind of like a renaissance where he is getting the respect just on his own in his career and then this film comes at this beautiful time where like you said I think that those even like a younger generation that have seen his work in the street and all all they know is his quote-unquote street art you know you can watch this film and say oh wow like there's this whole other body that maybe you would have never gotten to know so it I, I really did also want to elevate his work and showing the the huge range and I I love that you said that because it, it I I feel like it does do that and I think for those who think they know Kenny they might learn even more um, even for people who did know do know of him when they get to see this film and see the range, I think, um, yeah, I, I hope to elevate and inspire and kind of yeah. pay, yeah, respect to him. So. For people who are getting to know him, the through line between who he is and his art is in this film. You, He is who you think would be making this kind of art and the art reflects mm -hmm. who he is. So it, it's a, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful portrait of him. Uh, he seems like a terrific human being on top of everything else. And uh, I'm so grateful that you were able to to get to make this film and also to spend a little time with us here on the show. So I appreciate the work. Again, Kenny Sharp when Worlds Collide. We've been talking with the co-directors, co-producers of the film, Leah Sharp and Max Bash. To both of you, thank you so much for being on Film School Radio. Thank you so much. Thank you so pleasure. much, Mike. Thank you. It was you. really fun. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music